You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me, my co-hostest with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Back in the studio again for another episode of Driving Law. This time, the back first episode, back on the September, street. kids are going back to school. It's going to be school zones are going to be back in. Well, they're, they were in already. Well, I'm sure they are in many parts of the country. Yes. School zones, kids back at school, your kids back at school. They're going back to school. Yeah. You're sending them back into the danger, into they, the COVID, they went, they went the cesspool. June. They went in June. <laughs> yeah, there were no kids there, though. Yeah, I know. There was. I think there was one day my son was there by himself. I think he was the only kid in the school. Best school day ever. Yeah, he, he enjoyed it. <laughs> you um, know, my parents... But there were, da- there were days that there was, you know, because they had rotating things. There was mm-hmm. days then when they were half full. My so. parents asked me, you know, what what would you have thought if, you know... You could have just done your entire school year online. I don't know what that was. If you could have just done your entire school year online. I was like, that would have been the best fucking thing ever. Like, I would have just done all the school right away. I would have got it done. I would have had nothing but time to myself and no bullies. I probably would have powered through it. Or I wouldn't have done any of it. You wouldn't have done any of it. No, I might have powered through it. How much school did you do? Well, in the end, I didn't do any, but when I was yeah. in, like, grade grade one to three, I was still a keener. It was in grade four when I switched to a, from a Catholic school to a public school, and I realized that I was, like, a year behind everybody because mm-hmm. Catholic school was shit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, well, you uh, had to learn all of Jesus. Uh, I had to learn all Jesus. about Jesus, yeah. So I spent all my time learning about Jesus and counting See, saints. I don't know why the Catholics don't do it, like the other religions i learned all about jesus but i learned it at sunday school yeah that's a fucking waste of your sunday though i mean no, you have shit to do it was nice the nice church people they're so polite and friendly bah, and so judgmental they weren't judgmental of me uh, so well you were lucky they weren't uh, overly judgmental in catholic school but boy did they waste our time anyway the um really no, my but mom's I was a description of catholic school was like it was hell on earth uh, it depends on the Catholic school you're at. She's um, older than you too, so. Well, not much. Um, when I started off, it was it was nuns, um, you know, that were running it, and they were brutal and horrible. Okay. Anyway, enough of. Uh, yeah, well, I wanted to Catholic talk about Catholic children. Did we? Really? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, I was interviewed. Somebody will think of them. <laughs> Won't somebody think of the children? Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Mrs. Lovejoy. It's a little tiring. A little tired now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tired for my generation, maybe not for later generations. Look, you know, Brandon Moscow, long-time listener. First-time caller, long-time listener. He's been on. Long-time listener of the podcast. He's been on the podcast. He works at Acumen. He's a great guy. Great guy. Getting married this week. Wouldn't it be the best wedding present for him to have... A Simpsons reference edited into the podcast. Would that really be the best wedding present? I could think of something else. What? I guess like we got to get him a wedding present. Holy shit! I didn't even think of that. Oh my god! People just have wedding to get crap. Um, okay. Well, not him. <laughs> I don't think he's. Doesn't seem like the type of guy who surrounds himself with crap. 
So, thinking of the children, Paul, uh, Suri Mom uh, is petitioning the government, because, you know, petitions affect real change. Um, uh, petitioning, sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. The government to change the Motor Vehicle Act hit-and-run laws after an incident involving her son. I was interviewed for CBC about this this week. So, so what happened? Her son, who's 13, and who is black, was walking down the street when a woman in a vehicle, who is white, or appears to be white, hit him, ran him over, broke his foot, he was bleeding, he was injured. It's awful. It's horrible. She didn't leave the scene of the collision. She What'd stopped. She, she picked him up. She put him in her car. She treated his injury the best she could with the material she had available to her at the time. Where she, was this? Like, what time of the day? Sorry. Did anybody else stop and pull over? Or? No, nobody else stopped and okay. pulled over. Right. I assume it was the daytime because it's a 13-year-old, so okay. they're not walking at 2 a.m. I don't know. One I don't assumes. Know what, I don't know what 13-year-olds do these days. I don't I'll either. find out in a few years. Yeah. Um, and loads him into the car, asks him where he lives, drives him home. Yeah. Let's him out. Yeah. Drives off. Yeah. So, mom, obviously upset. Her child is bleeding. He's got a broken foot. He's been run over by a car. She has no interaction with this driver. She phones the police. Surrey RCMP investigate. They're able to identify who the driver was. So, they obviously had some information, whether it was license plate or name. Some type of information was yeah. given to them. They determine who the driver was. They have a conversation with the driver, and on the basis of the information they collect, they decide this wasn't a hit and run. Well, no, it's not a hit and run. No offense committed. Thank you. It's not a hit and run. This is her point. Her point is that it should be a hit and run. Why the hell would it be a hit and run? It's not a hit and run. Because it's a child, and children... She helped the child. Yes, but she didn't call 911. She didn't call the child's parents to come to the scene the fastest, smartest thing she could do probably is take the kid home, especially if he's within a block or so of home. Or to the hospital, I or suppose. Or to the hospital, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. True. I, I actually don't disagree with the actions of the driver in this case. Um, but I thought we'd talk about her petition. So she wants to change the Motor Vehicle Act to say, if you hit somebody who's a child, there are more obligations on you besides stop, render reasonable assistance. What obligations does she want? That you have to call 911 and contact the parent. Oh, I mean, calling 911 is plenty. Taking the kid home, I think, is fine. I mean, there may be circumstances where you can't, but... Well, there I also mean, might be circumstances where 911 is not justified. Like, you hit a kid and there's, like, no apparent injuries. It's a low-speed collision or there's some type of, like, physics where the... Kid is kid moving in the, the same direction the or, or whatever, Kids on the right? Skateboard yeah. and bumps the side of your car. Yeah, something, some uh, some type of c collision involving a child where the injuries are minor, maybe bumps and bruises, but no broken bones. You don't call nine one one because a kid got a bruise. Yeah, I hope. yeah. I mean, you got to make do something to ensure that the f people can identify you as yeah. the driver. But and obviously, this driver was reasonable. identified. So, I mean, they could create some onus to identify yourself, but you have an onus to you identify yourself to a pedestrian. You have an obligation to provide your name and address, the name and address of the registered owner, and to render all reasonable assistance. 
And this is the thing, like, this woman keeps saying this was a hit and run and this would have been charged as a hit and run, but obviously some information about the driver was conveyed to somebody. Maybe it was just a license plate, but somehow the police were able to quickly and easily identify who the driver of the vehicle was, and the driver didn't shy away from the police when they were contacted. Well, this is a fascinating thing. Um, you know, parents have somebody injured, they lose a child in a drinking, driving death, They their child is bumped by a car and has an injury or not, and there is always some desire to do something. I've got to make a change that would have changed the outcome for my child had it happened and it's a fascinating thing because but what would, how would the outcome there's nothing, change there's nothing that would change and there's nothing that would change for you know and the mothers against drunk driving are out there have the people who are volunteering for them it's you know they're not going to make any change that would change the circumstances of their child's uh sad outcome in um in the circumstances if there was an obligation to call 911 the driver would have stopped called 911 I mean, assuming they adhere to their obligation, called 911, EHS would have shown up, would have taken a lot longer, they would have treated the injury. And then transported the child to a... Hospital. Hospital. Um, well, I mean, I guess every circumstance is different. And if you're trying to think of sort of a general new rule, if you need to create a new rule, I don't see the need. No. Um and but, the other... you know, there's always something you can tweak, but contacting the parent, you know, maybe you can, maybe you can't. That's the police could do that quite easily. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are circumstances if the child is injured and they're the on the ground. police would and, do that. Yeah, of course, if the child's injured and they're on the ground. In this circumstance, you know, this person could have easily just called 911 or taken the child home. Two options, both reasonably viable. Yep. Interestingly, you know, you and I deal with all sorts of you know, prosecutors and lovely people, and many of our clients are quite reasonable people, but you travel around the province and there's lots of people who are not fully there, not fully functioning. They get to still drive. They don't make always good decisions all the time. We've defended some of those people. Um, and, uh, you know, coming up with more onerous tasks after a collision. Well, I will say this. I do think that there is a gap when it comes to the Motor Vehicle Act and kids. Because, like, if you take this situation, right, the child doesn't know that the adult's obligation is to stop, render reasonable assistance, and provide name and address and all of that information. They don't know that they're supposed to take that down, necessarily. They don't understand, and, and they're more vulnerable than an adult just because, like, I don't know, children's brains aren't fully developed and shit. Um, and so they're at a disadvantage, in addition to being the victim of an accident, I think maybe some more obligations, like perhaps to provide we, your information to a responsible adult. We have lots of obligations that mm -hmm. we have that are not just spelled out in the Motor Vehicle Act. You know, obligation to not be a dick, generally. Don't be a dick. Doesn't that's say that's that not in the Motor, motor vehicle, vehicle Act, yeah. Um, there's all sorts of obligations that, that we've... That we, comply with just as social norms and in the circumstance of being a human being. Uh, and this to me just seems like figure it out as a human being. But you know, it's scary. It's scary. You know, your kid has an accident. They're somewhere away from your home. Uh, you're hoping that the, you know, whoever's out there in the world is going to do what you think would be the right thing to do in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. The other issue that this mother is raising 
is that she feels that the police failed in their investigation and that if the rules were reversed, if it had been a black person driving and a white person who was hit, that the police would have charged the driver. Well, that's silly because the driver stopped and did everything that they required to under the Motor Vehicle Act within reason. Yeah, maybe they'd ticket them for not providing name and address. Well, I don't know if they did. I mean, yeah. maybe. Um, but the uh, can you say that it's an issue of uh, skin color, ethnicity, um, that the police did something differently? No. I mean, we defend all sorts of cases. The police don't. We always, deal with a lot of hit and runs. A lot of hit and runs. The police, you know, don't always deal, get all the information down that's necessary. And sometimes they investigate it as a hit and run, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get a hit and run investigation, and I start the file, and it's only maybe been 2% of the time, but then the police don't do anything. I phoned the police and left messages and say, yep. hey, I'm acting for this guy who, you know, hit this car at this location at this time. Your name's on the file, and I never get a call back. <laughs> yep. You know, it's three years later, the client's calling me saying, can we call this closed? And I, yeah, I guess we can. Yeah, I mean, I have the same the same situation. And thinking back over the hit and run files that you and I have had, a lot of non-white drivers whole variety. Yeah, but a lot have been non-white. But a lot have been white too. Yeah, but I'm just saying they're they're not if, dealt I wouldn't say that any of them were dealt differently. That's what I'm saying. As far as I can yeah. determine. Yeah. That those circumstances that played out in this case have tended to play out in many cases involving non-white individuals. As I've said in the past, I've had very a very small number of clients who are black males, but they disproportionately um, are have been beaten up by the police. Yep. And I will, and the circumstances. I mean, we're only talking a half dozen, um, uh, or maybe a dozen black males, maybe ten at this point. And uh, I can think of four who were beaten up by the police. I think I know the and, four you're talking about. Yeah. So, and I, I, maybe I've said this on the podcast before. Um, yeah, I can think of I can think of three just off the top of my head. I'm sure there's another, uh, but the uh, so there's no doubt in my mind that uh, you know I I I I feel for the black males out there because I'm I it would be horrible to be in that situation where you feel that you can't leave your house without fear that the police are going to beat you up, beat you, kill, kill you. you. Um, well, and 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 I've seen it, but I don't think in this circumstance that you could say that this the police response was any different. No, I don't. I, on the I basis of... On, uh, in this circumstance, with with my experience with these types of files, your experience with these types of files, this does not appear to me to be something that is motivated by race, consciously or subconsciously. It seems to be motivated by the way the law is drafted. Yeah, because they dealt with it the way that it was supposed to be dealt with. Now... You raise but, an interesting. But, but, but I, I, I think you can. I mean, I, I can empathize or sympathize, whatever the appropriate term is, with the mother because you're looking at it through this lens of, of, uh, of the circumstances of your child, and you're wondering, like, was this dealt with, the same way as it would be if my child, you know, if my child wasn't a young black male. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, and so it's. I'm not. I'm not knocking her as saying that she's no. unreasonable. I'm just saying that that uh, this seems. And those to be... those perceptions, like to develop that perception, comes from consistently experiencing discrimination, right? Like right, I observing it. Well, 
I, you know, lots of times I come to you and I say the only reason the prosecutor's doing this to me or the only reason the police officer's acting this way or whatever, opposing counsel, is because I'm a young woman. Yep. And yeah, there are times been, where you take time. over the file and all of a sudden what I was proposing that was so unreasonable happens. Well, that hasn't happened as much as it used to Not be, but I, you still to. see the... Because um... now I just go, fuck it. Yeah. But I've agreed with you when it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I've observed it myself. I've seen it. It happens. You've also been there on the I'm phone a, with me. I don't me. mean it that it happens and, and it's permissible that it happens. It happens and you're right you, that you properly perceive it for what it is. Well, you're on the phone with me sometimes when people call outside office hours and they, you know, I'm talking to them and giving or, them legal advice. Hours. And and then all of a sudden they go, okay, well, when can I talk to a lawyer about this? Mm-hmm. Well, I am a lawyer. You're a lawyer? And you've said a lawyer. Yeah, I'm a lawyer at the beginning of the yeah. conversation. But Hi, my name's Kyla, I'm a lawyer. How can I help you? <laughs> most of those times, those people are not particularly sharp. Well, <laughs> um, but actually, you, you brought up this issue of, of discriminatory policing, and I wanted to tell you about something interesting that Miriam, our new articled student... Um, came to me the other day and asked me, she was working on some stuff to do with IRPs, and she said, Kyla, what's the reason that police handcuff people? Because I see sometimes in an IRP, they handcuff the person, and sometimes they don't. Why, why is that? And I thought about it for a second, and there's a real answer, like the the legitimate on-paper answer is you would handcuff them if there was like a justifiable officer safety or flight risk reason, if they were being detained and it appeared to be necessary for whatever reason. But I my answer to her when I thought about it for a second was, well, it's generally based on your skin color. And she said, yeah, I've been noticing that. It's always the white people. We've talked about this, I think, on the podcast. Did we? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's always the white people who don't get, a, get handcuffed. I've had white clients who are handcuffed. Um, yeah, it happens, but less, 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 less so. No, I, I, I believe that. Um, I've also noticed that some of the clients who were handcuffed um, you know, were, were not speaking particularly rationally with the police sometimes they're not speaking particularly rationally (laughs) with me um and so the police may be looking at it and saying this person could be on the you know about to snap uh but the um i you know i i I will almost guarantee you that if you're a young black male pulled over and you blow a fail into an approved screening device even if the police give you an irp pretty good chance they're going to handcuff you and seat you in the back of the cruiser all right, we're going to shift topics entirely since apparently you and I have already talked about this and it's late and I'm tired and I don't remember. So, um, Virginia. Just Virginia. Passed. Virginia. Virginia, don't go. We made it so many weeks, folks, without Paul singing on the podcast. And I thought I sang last week. No, no you sang. I sang last week, yes. So I tried to head it off at the pass. Um, but here we go. So, Virginia police... Um, apparently have been doing a lot of, of the stop and sniff vehicle stop searches. Stop and sniff and search the car. Yeah. You stop, you go. Smells oh, like. Smells like weed. Yeah. Smells like weed here, boys. Yeah. Uh, 
interesting that you say that because the ACLU has said that disproportionately it is black people who are more likely it's probably to be... black males but yeah. yes probably just black people period Yep, and so we know the racist Virginia cops saying exactly that. It's probably over, a very legitimate people. thing. Just pull over black people, sniff their car, and then search it. Well, and and use derogatory racial terms like you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Virginia Senate has passed a bill that prohibits doing this. It's It's history. Huh. Never been done before, and it's basically meant it's the purpose is to stop racial profiling, um, but it now prohibits police from searching a vehicle solely based on the odor of cannabis. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, in part because cannabis decriminalization has happened, and so for the you know idea of legalization that they're achieving through decriminalization because of the weird structure in the U.S. of who gets to make marijuana criminal um they've they've decided to do this and they say basically if you're allowed to have it your vehicle's allowed to smell like it that's great and uh i haven't seen many cannabis search cases since cannabis was legalized in canada but it wouldn't be a bad thing to have a similar law in the books yeah i, I mean i don't know that you can write well, I've never seen any law in, like, the criminal code or anything that says you can't conduct a search if, right? Like, there's lots of you can conduct a search if, but not the yeah, absolute be, pro prohibition on it. Yeah, it might be a bad precedent to do that because then the the assumption in judge, by judges in 15 years would be if it's not prohibited, it's permissible. Maybe, but isn't the, if it's not expressly permitted, then it's also maybe permitted through all sorts of, like, backdoor, bend-over-backwards type reasoning? Well, that's with approved screening devices. But with all sorts of stuff. Like, look, okay, um, the closest thing that I can think of in the criminal code, at least in the driving law context, that we have to, like, a prohibition on doing something is when people are in an accident and the officer asks you know who's driving and when did this accident happen and that evidence is only admissible for other purposes now they've they've codified this only admissible for the purposes of giving the officer grounds to make demands or arrests it's not admissible as proof of that fact at trial yes but that's probably the closest we come to sort of an absolute prohibition on doing that well i still like the idea of this and i think it's a good idea because it's designed to deal with um this ongoing history like carting in toronto there's oh, ongoing history in toronto in everywhere yeah well i mean it's illegal everywhere yes so the uh but this history of the police going beyond their power so the problem that we see, and I've said this before, I said it in a different context where I um, I, I was going to write an article about it and then I, I decided <laughs> I didn't want to go that far into it. But um, you, you've got circumstances sometimes where you, where you really need... Oh, where the hell was I going with this? Just lost my train of thought, Kyle. It's so hot in here. I'm sorry, I do not control the heat. And my poor people listening have lost my train of thought to see whether or not it was actually going somewhere. It was going somewhere. That's okay. Um, 
anyway, I guess the uh, the point is, I think, to correct the historic um, the historic inequities here, sometimes the governments have to go further, and sometimes the governments have to prohibit certain conduct. I know, and but I would say this is conduct you could prohibit by the police. Well, I would like to see some laws prohibiting police from doing certain things. Uh, I think it would be a welcome and refreshing change, but it's completely, to my knowledge, unprecedented in our legal system. And, you know, you and I were having this debate the other day about uh, legalization um, or decriminalization of hard drugs and and. Justin Trudeau's interview on CBC where he said it's not a silver bullet and you said that's because they have a minority. If they had a majority government they'd be decriminalizing hard drugs and I don't believe it because they didn't do it when they did have a majority. But it's not a great election winner, vote getter, politicking thing to say police can't, can't, can't. You don't get votes by prohibiting police from doing things because you know exactly what would happen if those bills were before the House and they were being studied by the Justice Committee. All the different police organizations, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, the Canadian Association of Police, the BC Association, every provincial association of Chiefs of Police, all the police unions and this and that and the other thing would all come out and they'd say, we can't do our jobs if you tie our hands like this. Uh, I don't think that they would do that. Oh, you the, don't? Not, not in this one. You think, okay. Not in this case. Not because they, there's absolutely no way that they want to look like they are, um, that they are opposing something that is fundamentally designed to deal with historic racist behavior with the police. And the other thing is, they, but remember, every... hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. September 11th, 2001, ever since then, police officers, nobody questioned them except you and me and a handful of people for 19 years. Now we're 19 years on and we've realized, oh my goodness, if we just give the police a free hand, we're going to see the things, the horrible things that we've seen happen. Um, and this uh, holding the police to this uh, belief that they're all just heroes and, uh, and first responders and thank you for your service and all this bullshit for 19 years has called a, caused a world of grief. And people right now are looking at it and saying, no way, this is a, we've made a mistake. Well, they're not recognizing the mechanism, but they're realizing that the police are not infallible and, in fact, often do horrible things. There are as many people out there that are saying, hashtag blue lives matter, and I support the police, and black lives matter protesters are rioting and are anarchists and blah, blah, blah. There are as many people out there saying that as there are people saying the sensible thing, which is that we need to exercise restraint on the powers that police are given and we need clear-cut restraint on the powers that they're given. So I don't agree with you on that point. And I think when you say that it is a vote-getter, it's only a vote-getter from the people who are the people saying defund the police and, and I the think defense there's lawyers. a significant portion of the population right now who are viewing the police differently yeah, the same way that you would say you you said to me earlier this week that the conservatives would use this to make sure that the liberals lost their power if they legalized sure and I think those are two different things they're not they are two different things they are completely two different things you're talking about um fully de the uh, legalizing uh, hard drugs, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm not 
given you my position on it. I don't have a position on it, really. Um, what I'm telling you is that the the people who are soft, uh, the soft portion that could either go liberal or conservative will go to the conservatives in those circumstances. A lot of people who are are older people, particularly, will mm -hmm. go to the conservatives. And, and you'll just end up with a conservative majority government, and then they will all be criminalized again. You don't so you NDP supporters out there, Green Party or whatever the heck you are, I'm not, you know, putting you in a box, I'm not really sure, who just think that everything should be just magically happen the way that you want it. You're not thinking about the political realities of it. That... You still owe me sandwiches, by the way. Yes, I've gave you, given you your sandwiches. No, I'm still in debt. One sandwich. You changed the bet. The, um, it wasn't a bet. The point was, the promise, <laughs> the point was um, that, uh, you know, there are political implications for it. I think that the liberals are ultimately going to do it. I don't think that they're going to do it as quickly as you want or many other people want. Yeah, yesterday. I think they're going to do it quicker than many people want. Um, and they have to first be able to make the argument, and they're going to be able to make it fairly easily with cannabis, that this is not the end of the world, uh, that these things can be controlled, and that they're not going to set up stores to sell cocaine. Right, but going back to the original thing that you're saying you should write a law to prohibit, that Virginia wrote a law to prohibit, searching a vehicle based on the smell of cannabis. You're saying that nobody in their right mind will agree with police when they say that that would hamstring them in their ability to conduct investigations. But first of all, conservatives still don't like the idea that cannabis is legal, many of them. And secondly, it's still illegal in many, many, many circumstances to possess cannabis. I'm not saying that you have to duplicate the Virginia law. I'm but saying that's that that's what you we're can... talking about. I never said duplicate the Virginia law. I think you can write restrictions on police that to protect people on the basis of their ethnic origin so we don't see First Nations people and Indigenous people and we don't see um, African Canadians. Um, face the same level of scrutiny by the police, where they basically view them, see someone with different skin color driving down the road, and they pull them over, and they end up detaining them and searching their vehicle. You're right. But that's not going to get rid of the, you know, well, I smelled cannabis justification that you and I both know gets invented by some police officers to do exactly what they were intending to do when they saw the skin color of the person behind the wheel. Because you know what you can't preserve to bring into a courtroom? No body cam, no photos. No, there's no, you, can't, you can't put the smell in a bag. Yeah. So there's always that. And it's the same with slurred speech odor. and well, odor of liquor. Well, slurred speech you can get on a video. Well, if you do. Most of the but time odor it's of liquor, just a police officer recording it in their notes. And I just don't believe it when I see it unless it's a, there's video or audio. Because well, I, half the time I think you're slurring. You're just tired. Well, thanks. The... Uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, Don't... I've had so many officers on the witness stand back in the days when we used to run tons and tons of impaired driving trials. I had officers on the witness stand and none of them could describe what a slurred, what slurred speech was. Yeah. So that was one of the few times that I would ask that. So what is that exactly question? Can you describe it to me? And they'd be like, uh, well, it's kind of like oh, slurred. Yeah. I was just over at the bar. Our spine to drive. See, that is, you can do it. But, <laughs> I have but, done it. <laughs> and they had you, had you, had, if you did speak like that, I would accept it. But the problem <laughs> is that, you know, we get the slight slur and what is it? What the hell is a slight slur? You never met the guy before. 
What words did, what did you yeah. ask him? What did he say? Nothing. You have no words that were communicated. Describe what a slur yeah, what is. What was the, the one, the one I had in, a, me a in that? Instead of giving me an impersonation, describe it. Well, I had one in a case where the officer said that there was slurred speech and I pinned the officer down to the only word that the client spoke up to that point in time was no. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. That's slow speech. That's slow yeah. speech. There is a, used to be a box for that on the EAP yeah. form. Okay. Um, we're off topic. And I want to talk about our third topic, which is a recent survey that was done by the Desjardins group um, about distracted driving. Because contrary to government popular belief, the more you increase the penalties for distracted driving, the more people really actually are going to continue to do it. I've seen Since such bad examples in the last week that it's look, it's frustrating. 53% of people who responded to this survey admitted using their phone while driving contrary to distracted driving laws, which happens to be up 38% from 2018. So between 2018 and 2020, the law got tougher, and 38% more people went, fuck it, and picked up the phone. Phones got cooler. Yeah, they did. Um, the, uh, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I didn't get past the headline there where I saw that, but I, the, the, the headline was something else. The headline was the fact that people will not stop unless they have an accident. Yep. Um, it, they, they surveyed people on what would make you stop, and... Most people assumed they hadn't been in a car accident, and 41% of the people who responded that they use their phones said that they would break the habit if they were in a collision, but they hadn't been in one yet. Um, and for as far as steeper fines and higher insurance rates, 26% of people would stop using their phone if the fines were steeper, and 21% would stop using their phone if their insurance went up if they got caught. Driving down Kingsway yesterday with my kids in the car. We had to go to an electronic shop. Um, I had a little project that I was doing, and I dragged them along. And every intersection, the same guy in the same BMW SUV um, with no front plate on it was texting it. Every intersection, my kids are watching it. Um, kids watch very closely, which is the main thing that has made me not do it, not use my phone, because I don't want my kids to think that that's okay. I also don't want my kids to rat me out because, Jesus, your kids rat you out on all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Apparently, my, my son went to the mountains um, on a little uh, excursion with my brother for a week. And apparently, uh, he told my brother that I had 17 beers. In what time frame? At some point that I was in the cabin in the last three years with them, that he had counted the cans. Now, that I may have been a week. I may have been two weeks. It might have been split with other people. I don't know, but, you know... <laughs> My point is that, uh, you know, I, I, the scrutiny of your children should be the thing that would discourage people, one would think, instead of instead of their only thing that's going to discourage them is if they have an accident. Yeah, you'd think that, but... I mean, you'd think some scrutiny would stop you. All right. I was giving you my wrap-up signal because I've decided our listeners don't want to hear about people using their cell phone that you saw on the road. What they really want to hear about, Paul? Is... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. 
All right. That's why they hang on for it. Hey, it's your favorite segment. Well, I'm the one who created it. Exactly. That's why it's my favorite. Because you feel like you contributed. Um, you could so, talk here by yourself if you really wanted to. I could. I, okay. And I'm sure you could. You could probably fill an hour very easily, and it would be fascinating. I don't want to. Um, so a police chase in Red Deer, Alberta, which, shout out to Red Deer, home of our former associate, Davin Mitchell, now a prosecutor in Red Deer. Super guy. I was thinking about him this okay. week. Yeah. As we had more lawyers, who, more articled students who were called and became lawyers, or it's happening. We had a great, great chat during lockdown. It was wonderful. Um, anyway, uh, so police saw a vehicle with a stolen license plate and a driver who is known to police. They followed him. The car accelerated and fled. And, of course, in order to do a pursuit, police have to get all sorts of layers of permission, so they basically have to quit. Um, but they patrolled for... Well, they radios. Yeah. They patrolled for the vehicle, and shortly later... They found the vehicle with the license plate that didn't match the vehicle. The stolen car was seen nearby. Um, They approach this second vehicle, find the driver from the first incident, arrest him. And a second male who was in the vehicle climbs onto the roof of a nearby school. The police surround, wait for a dog. There's two employees in the school who leave. They're like, where is this guy? He's not coming out. They can't find him. He climbed into one of the ceiling vents in the school, like full on like Mission Impossible style, (laughs) except more like that episode of Community. He got stuck. Yeah. (laughs) On TV, I mean, James Bond gets in the vents and the movies and maybe water comes down the vent that you're not expecting or the vent gets really hot or something and you're burning your hands. But that's Dr. No, I think. But it's also big, and they're very clean in there. Yeah. No dust, and they're lit. You can see because you know there's a camera. They're so big enough to fit a human man. Kind of get the wrong impression. I keep thinking about things that you get the wrong impression for. We have like 16 breakers on the uh, on the um, the plug-in socket in your uh, in your uh, the outlet in your bathroom. Um, and right. it's probably just because of the James Bond film. There's no outlet in my bathroom. In the new, newer houses, your house oh. is old. But if you've got an outlet in your bathroom these days, there's a breaker there. There's a breaker on the panel that's a special breaker. And it's all because of the James Bond film where James Bond throws a fan into somebody who's in the bathtub and it kills them. Absolutely shocking. Of course, if you did that, even with their standard breaker, it would probably I, just... I believe it's absolutely shocking mr bond no it's he's the one who says it oh um whatever it's one of those lines of the kill anyway the um oh like a horatio kane line like a witty one-liner and then he you know puts on his sunglasses and then the who plays sure um whatever the uh i'm beyond having a point so the uh (laughs) Sure. <laughs> the ducks the are, point is, the you ducks can't climb dirty. an event. The ducks are dirty and disgusting, <laughs> and you're going to get stuck in them. So, Wait, so if you're running from But it's police. not really driving, right? Yeah, there was the stolen car and okay, the chase. Okay, so there's a driving. There's and, a driving angle. And if you're running from police after stealing a license plate and stealing the car and stealing another car. I sent you that one. There was like 12, 16 drive. Yeah, uh, well, there was a bunch I of picked ridiculous this one because I liked the guy in the vent. Oh, I thought you'd go for the Florida guy. All right, save Florida guy for next week. Okay. 
Well, that makes this our podcast. Thanks, Kyla. Glad to see you. Maybe I won't have you on next week since <laughs> I probably have another guest lined up for next week. So if you are around next week, tune in. Hopefully, I will be able to finalize the details of my recording with a different perspective on the ICBC litigation with Ravjeet Walia. Uh, that'll either be next week or the week after. He's hilarious. He's smart. Uh, he's a cool lawyer, and he's going to be joining us on the podcast shortly. And if you need to reach us in the meantime, find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 